Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Playsheet Podcast. We, I think we ran 33 episodes long last season. And I don't know about you, Joe, but towards the end of it, I, w- I was ready for a break. But we've been away for, what, a month and a half, maybe a bit longer. And already I'm itching to get back into it. So I am very excited to have the excuse of the NFL draft to get us back talking about football. We'll record this podcast, which you're listening to now. We will do a follow-up podcast next week to wrap up and talk about the findings of the draft. And then we'll take another little break before we join you ahead of the 2021-22 NFL season. Joe, you've been extremely busy doing, well, basically little mini videos uh, that we've been releasing two a day recently just to run through what the team's needs are and, and how things are looking for the draft. So the man with all the knowledge, how, how are you feeling? Are you excited about it? Has it has it hyped you up? Has it, has it dulled your senses? It's been a labour of love. It's really been a labour of love. I've enjoyed doing it. I would say that it's one of those things where you know how kind of Steve Redgrave kind of was in a boat in in, in 96 and said, if you ever see me going near a boat again, shoot me. If I ever say to you, I'm going to do draft videos again, shoot me. It's been, it's been, it's been tough. It's been tough. It's, you know, six hours every day that I'm spending on it. Don't tell my boss at work. But uh, the more you understand what is going on, the more you know what's happening in the draft with every single team the more you get out of it. And, you know, it's fun enough, don't you worry. It's fun watching your team. It's fun watching your team pick players, seeing who your new players are. But if you understand what other teams need and, you know, the teams in front of them who are going to pick players that may, that they might be after, it just adds so much more drama. I suppose you'll know better than anyone, Joe, having done what we're probably well into three quarters of, of the teams now in terms of taking a look at their needs and their picks. Give us a little bit of a breakdown on who the teams are that are hoarding all the picks and who are the teams that are potentially a little bit light on the picks that they have to draft this season. Sure thing. So you look at kind of pick-rich teams. I'd say that the two teams who are richest would probably be the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Miami Dolphins because both those teams have four picks in the top 50. The New York Jets are also very pick-rich as well. Uh, and they're picking at the top of every round because uh, they're second overall. So obviously they have the second pick, then they have the 34th pick, etc., etc. But just on those early round picks, uh, n- no team is richer than either the Jaguars or the Dolphins. But those three sides, yeah, they've got a lot of draft capital to work with. And then once you go outside those teams who aren't so rich, I mean, we all know about the Houston Texans and the mismanagement of that team over the last few years. The Houston Texans aren't picking until pick 67 something like that i mean considering their season that is a disaster it's horrendous when you think about how badly a team really needs to rebuild how they've lost their pro like they've lost players like jj watt when you lose players like jj watt and you lose those old veterans who have been the face of a team for so long then that's that's rebuild time it's time to rebuild it's the end of an era it's time to move on but we don't have the picks to do that it's re- if I was a Houston Texans fan right now, this is the worst time to ever be a Houston Texans fan. I'm sorry, Texans fans out there, but you go back to when was it, 2006, when they finished, was it two and two and 14, something like that. Had a real bad season in 2006. They had the first pick the next year. They could start to rebuild. They're very no position to rebuild right now. It's really bad if you're a Texans fan. Seattle aren't really in Pickville right now. I think they're maybe not. I've not done Seattle for the videos yet. But I think that they're probably not going until a second or third round either because they sent a load of picks over for uh, Jamal Adams. So there's a couple of teams with varying needs. 
But the worst place, guys, is definitely the Texans. And it's quite interesting when you think about the Dolphins and the Jaguars in terms of being pick-rich teams, both in very, very different stages of their their kind of process. When you think about the Dolphins, how they had a, a really strong season last season from from where they've come from versus the Jaguars who who finished dead last. You know, Jags are going to be very much in rebuild mode. Whereas the Dolphins, they're they're in a situation where they essentially just need to add a few pieces, need to tweak. Yes and no, Charles. Yes and no. There's there's different degrees of teams that you look at. You look at some teams where across the roster they look very rich. They look like they're, you know, contenders right now. There's teams that need a few picks here and there to take them to that next level. There's teams that have gaps everywhere, uh, but then there's teams who've st- already started to, to address that through like free agency and those kind of things. I wouldn't say that the Dolphins are that good. I wouldn't say that they're a team who, you know, are a player or two shy away from Super Bowl. They're not quite there yet. They're a team who obviously did well on the defense last year. They need to reinforce that, get that strong for the future, and then they also need to do quite a lot of work on their offense as well. I mean, you look at the skill positions there, and they're not really all that clever across wide receiver and running back. So, yep, the Dolphins need a few pieces, but maybe a few more than just a couple. And, you know, we've started to see it already in terms of trading up and trading down. Where do you see teams this season? Are are there any teams that you think before this draft starts, we can probably, or even during, we can probably expect certain teams to move up or down? Well, I'd absolutely say that the defining kind of day, because it wasn't one trade, it was two, I think. The defining day was the day when San Francisco, the Dolphins and Philadelphia kind of switched picks and move around. When San Francisco pulled the trigger and took the straw by the scruff of the neck and said, we're moving up to third, that almost set things in motion. That almost then made it not worth quite a few teams trading up. Now, one of the most contentious things right now in conversations that I've been having with friends and guys that I play fantasy with is what the Atlanta Falcons do it for. But assuming the Falcons don't go quarterback at four, it means that those kind of quarterback hungry and quarterback peckish teams outside those top three teams who will definitely be taking quarterback, there's less urgency for for them to trade up because the Atlanta Falcons aren't going to take a quarterback, the Cincinnati Bengals aren't going to take a quarterback, the Miami Dolphins aren't going to take a quarterback, and the Detroit Lions aren't going to take a quarterback. So that trade right there was the defining trade. It it, It almost set things. It's like these are the top three picks. We kind of know those quarterbacks who are going in the top three. And then if you were thinking about trading up, well, the impetus has kind of gone now. So talking of quarterbacks then, how many quarterbacks do you think we're going to see go in, say, the first 10 picks? I mean, you've almost given us your rundown there, but... That's a real kind of interesting question because despite what I'm saying about teams not trading, towards the back end of a top 10, a lot could still happen. Now, like I said, everyone knows Trevor Lawrence is going pick one. It's, it's not a prediction. As I said on the video, it, that's just happening. That is reality. That's fact. Trevor Lawrence is going pick one. Zach Wilson is going pick two. We know that. We know those first two. You go past those, and I'd say probably with 90, 95% certainty, it's going to be Mac Jones going to San Fran with the third pick. That's not confirmed. It's not definite. It's not like they've given him the playbook like the Jags have. But let's just assume those three guys are the top three picks. That's going to leave you Justin Fields and it's going to leave you Trey Lance. Now, Justin Fields has had a lot of hype about him. And I think that there's quite a lot of San Fran fans who are a little bit upset their team's taking Mac Jones rather than Justin Fields. So Justin Fields is coveted by some teams. There's a chance the Falcons trade back. 
I wouldn't say it as a likely chance. I wouldn't say it's it's gonna happen, but that could happen. But let's say the Falcons stay. Falcons are taking someone like Pitts at four. The Bengals are taking someone like Pinasol at five. The Dolphins are going to take Jamar Chase at six, and then Detroit are going to take Devonte Smith, Jalen Waddle at seven. Then that takes you on to the Panthers at eight. The Panthers have got Darnold right now, but I mean Darnold isn't a he's not a long term guy there who they've paid his contract for the next five years and they owe him loads in signing bonus and guaranteed money. That It's not that situation at all. Darnold is quite expendable at Carolina. So Carolina, if they see Fields, could be like, hey, yeah, we're going to give him a shot. So And then after the Panthers, straight after that, you've got Denver. And Denver, they've obviously got Locke and... While they're probably not actively moving on from Locke just yet, they might bring in a quarterback, you know, a bit of competition in there to put a fire under Locke. So it's that point at eight and nine in the draft where you could see that fourth quarterback coming back, assuming we have no trades. But obviously, if a team get really aggressive and give Atlanta, like, you know, a deal they can't refuse, then we could see a little bit of drama. And, you know, the teams who are in the frame are Washington, are New England... I don't think either of those are likely, but but it could still happen that we see a team, you know, trade into that fourth position or maybe trade with a team like the Dolphins or a Lions 6 or 7. It's 8 or 9. The, the doubt, though, in what's going to happen top 10 would be Panthers and Denver. I could see any situation, really, ranging from three to five quarterbacks in the top 10. I definitely don't condone it because, as I said on a couple of videos, you look at the quarterbacks who have been taken fourth in the last couple of years of a draft and it's not pretty reading. Look at names like Deshaun Kaiser. You look at names like Josh Rosen, Brandon Weedham. These guys haven't done well in the National Football League. Yeah. So every year for draft, there tends to be certain classes of positions that people are exceptionally high on or uh, they're, they're not a particularly strong draft class. So they're positions that maybe aren't targeted as much as teams need them. Obviously, quarterback it's all anyone's talking about for the first few picks. But beyond the quarterback, where do you think the superstar positional classes are and maybe some of the weaker positional classes? Absolutely, Chaz. And, you know, this is always a good discussion point, but you can't really you can't really be sure of this until three years after draft. It's an absolute cliche, but you judge drafts three years afterwards. But right now, the perception, if we're looking at things, the perception is that this is a tackle and offensive line rich draft that you can potentially find starters on the o-line all the way into day three and that, that's very very deep you go back a couple of drafts previous to this and it was quite a drought really on offensive line talent but offensive line talent seems to be quite deep this year so that's a, a, a deep thing you also have quite a lot of wide receiver depth just like last year not as much as last year but you've got quite a few wide receivers who definitely into day two you know, round two and round three should be starters. I'm thinking about the Moors, you know, Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore. Those guys are going to go probably middle of round two. And, you know, if this was a weaker year for wide receiver talent and we didn't have as much on the board, those guys could have been first round selections on a dry year. Moving on to the kind of weaker side of things, tight end. Tight end just stands out so much. Second year in a row that, isn't it? <laughs> uh, second year in a row. Yeah, yeah. You've got Kyle Pitts, who's like the standout guy. Like I said, I'm currently projecting him going to Atlanta but I don't see him really lasting past the latest I see him going is pick eight or nine he, he, he's a top 10 pick and that's quite rare for a tight end 
But Carl Pitts, who's been put down as a generational kind of Titan guy, after him, you can really count the rest of the guys on one hand. Like, literally drafted Titans this year, one hand. Tommy Trimble, Fry Move, I'm just thinking off my head a couple of names here. Uh, it gets really, really sketchy past there. I would be shocked, Charles. I'd be beyond shocked if by the end of day two, we have more than three tight ends gone off the board. Well, there's always the Bears to uh, <laughs> to help prop up that stat. <laughs> Absolutely. But don't be surprised to see the Bears go in for one. Absolutely. <laughs> so then talking about potentially individual players then, we don't often touch on fantasy uh, too much when it comes to this podcast. We We prefer to do the analysis of the actual games and the events that happen themselves. But if we're talking fantasy, which players early off the board do you think are going to be making an impact in people's teams? And I know that's quite hard to suggest because obviously a lot of uh, fantasy relevance is based on the teams in which these players land at. But if you're going to take a punt, are there some players that you think, do you know what? It almost doesn't matter where they land. They are likely to have an impact this season. Yeah, and you look at a guy like Carl Pitts, if he really is all he's cracked up to be, tight ends are so rare from a fantasy perspective. You go outside Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, and George Kittle when he's healthy, what else is there really in fantasy tight end world, which for fact you'd really put money on saying, hey, that guy is going to get me points week in and week out. Tight end is one of the most, you know, poorest positions in fantasy. Now, Carl Pitts, if he comes in and does the business, you know, if he comes in and has Matt Ryan thrown to him, he could be money. And he could be someone who in, you know, dynasty drafts and even redrafts could be going in the top five rounds. So Carl Pitts, there's stuff to be excited for there. Jamar Chase, you know, when he was at LSU and Justin Jefferson was there, Jamar Chase was, he was the receiver of choice for Joe Burrow. Jefferson had a great season the year before he was drafted, but Jamar Chase did even better. So if this guy has, you know, even 80-90% of what Justin Jefferson showed us in first year, he'll be making an instant impact for either the Dolphins or the Lions, whichever team take him. It's very, very hard to say though, Charles. You know, any player, Trevor Lawrence included, any player could be a dud. I think what we saw last year though, so much depth in wide receivers. We had teams taking players who they shouldn't have been taking and teams getting a bit carried away. I'm thinking Jalen Rager. I'm thinking the idiotic moves that the Philadelphia Eagles made. Stuff like that. What I would say, don't be mortgaging your fantasy dynasty futures on quarterbacks in this draft. All because Zach Wilson goes pick two. All because Mac Jones goes pick three. That doesn't mean that they're going to be an instant impact for your team or ever be an impact for your team and that's no reflection on those players but there's not going to be five quarterbacks from this class who are going to be your Mahomes and Watson fantasy quarterbacks week in week out that would be my word of warning yeah I just wish you'd given it to me several years ago before I picked up Baker Mayfield in fantasy <laughs> Joe well I, I, I didn't want you beating me Charles I didn't want you beating me what can I say <laughs> I, I'm a bad loser <laughs> so moving on from the individuals then uh, look we certainly don't have enough time to cover every single team uh, certainly in the level of detail that we'd like to but there are two teams in particular that I am quite interested to get your opinion on the the first one being the Bucks because uh, following their moves in the offseason they've 
pretty much retained their entire winning team. So what is the draft this season going to look like for the Bucks? Do you expect that they'll still be looking for those immediate impact players, just constantly building on the team? Or do you think that they might have their mind a little forward to the future, looking at some of their aging players who they can replace in a year or two's time? I think where the Bucks are drafting in the order, it's it's hard to really aim for an immediate impact player at 32nd overall because ultimately there's 31 teams in front of you. Well, not 31 teams. There's 31 picks in front of you and everyone's going to be looking for that immediate kind of impact player, that guy to make their team better. So no, they're not going to be looking for that. They've done incredibly well to keep a Super Bowl winning team together and that speaks volumes for sensibilities of those players and you know, buying into what the team is all about. This team needs to think about the future. That's what it needs to think about right now. And while they have retained their players, let's look across things here. You've got Sue starting at defensive end. Sue is what, 34 years old? Something like that? He's no spring chicken. I, 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 I think he's 34. I think the guy's never missed a game. He's an absolute Ironman, but he's getting on a bit. William Golston on the other end of a D-line, um, 30 years old. JPP, 32 you've got a lot of guys in that kind of uh, you know that front seven of a defense who are getting on a bit so they need to bring in young blood to be looking at kind of long-term futures and the reason the bucks are going to be it's a good draft for the bucks in the sense that there's a lot of developmental guys who need a year or two who could be amazing value late on day two and early on day three on the d-line there's, there's a lot of guys around those kind of picks who are projected to go around there who give them a year to kind of either put on weight or learn a few new finesse moves. And in a year or two's time, they could be pretty tasty. They'll be taking a punt a little bit, but hey, you can do that on round two or three. Yeah, and you can do that when you're, you've are you already got a winning Super Bowl team ready to roll out. Yeah, and you know how things are. There's always things that you could look at. You look for this team now. You know, could they be a little bit better at cornerback? Yeah, they could. Could they upgrade running back a bit? Yes, they could. You know, Lenny Fournette and Ronald Jones, it's not the best running back tandem in the league. There's a few areas where you think, yeah, hey, let's maybe upgrade that. But there's nothing urgent. There's other teams where you look for their roster and you think, Jesus Christ, that person should not be a starter. Get them off the depth <laughs> chart. They should know, they should be, they've got no business being in an NFL team and they have a starter. With Tampa Bay, there's none of that really. But you can always look for a depth chart and think, hey, maybe we could upgrade this. Like I said, but unfortunately, at 32nd, there's quite a few players have gone off a board before it gets to you. So you've got to think more strategically. And this is a team bringing in depth and competition rather than upgrading positions. Yeah. And, you know, we've always spoken about how difficult it is to run it back when you're talking about NFL teams. Uh, and, you know, a large part of that is if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. You know, standing still, treading water just sends you backwards in the NFL because everybody's always trying to do something new each season trying to push it each season so you you have to be keeping up with that trend even if you think you've got the best team on the field that's just it Charles I think I said that on one of my videos I can't recall which one but there's no such thing as treading water you're either moving forward or you're moving backwards they have stayed where they are with this team they just need to kind of bring in that fresher blood to add competition for a couple of spots and you know think about the future of some of these older guys because Sue, Golston and JPP won't be around forever. Cool. And then the second team that I wanted to talk about was the New England Patriots because we mentioned on the podcast a couple of times towards the end of last season 
that they would be a team to watch out for in the offseason because the feeling was that there'd be quite a few moves that they need to make. What are the moves that they've made already? How much of a job do they need to do on draft day? How much of a job do you expect them to be doing a little bit further on down the line in terms of trades, free agency? What's your view on the Patriots as things stand? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that this is one thing we kind of nailed on the pod last year. We said many times that we were looking forward to New England's offseason. And by God, so far, it's been quite exciting. What is it? A two or three day stretch back in March where every single deal, every single player who was changing teams was going to New England. Big names as well. Guys like Jono Smith, guys like Hunter Henry. On the O-line, you had Trent Brown. But there was a lot of movement all going into New England. It was really exciting. Now, so far, they haven't disappointed. There's a lot of, you know, talking heads, pundits, talking about New England moving up the draft order to try to get a quarterback in maybe the top 10. It's possible. It's possible. I said this on the video, though. I don't see it happening. I just don't see it happening right now. And there's a few reasons for it. A, I just don't see it being a Belichick-y kind of move. But you look at this team now. They're bringing in Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. Last year, in last year's draft, they actually drafted two tight ends. They drafted Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keane. So this whole kind of concept of playing 12 personnel and 22 personnel, this has been the plan for the whole time that Cam's been in the team. And now they've just gone out and got those proven vets to just make it happen and not rely on drafted talent. They're going to roll the dice back to 2012, back when you had Hernandez and Gronkowski, that way of playing. Belichick's bringing that back. And... With them playing that, I think that's going to suit the way that Cam Newton plays. I think Cam Newton playing in two tight end sets is going to be a very different and interesting player. I think that that works for him more. Having that extra guy lining up in the line, it brings so much more to kind of what he can do in terms of his mobility. You've got that extra blocker there if need be. It, it just elevates Cam. It makes Cam even more dangerous than what he is when you've got two tight ends there. So... I think that the way the team's lining up suits Cam. Don't get me wrong, he's not the long-term future of his team. He won't be starting in, say, 23 or 24. We know that, right? But how this team is now, I think, will work for Cam for another year. And I just don't see the Patriots trading into the top 10 to take, you know, the fourth or fifth quarterback off the board. It, it, it just doesn't seem like a value move for them. If they're being sensible, and I'm sure they are because it's Belichick, they always do the right thing. They'll be bringing in some depth to develop some guys who are ready to take over from, you know, older players like Cole Van Noy, like Matt Judon. Like those older guys, they'll be bringing in that talent. Great. So then something that I wanted to touch on, Joe, obviously, you know, I've seen a, a couple of drafts now in my time following the NFL. But for for those people that it's maybe their first draft or their second draft, what are your tips in terms of what's the best way to, to get the most out of the draft, to really enjoy it? Look, whichever way people want to enjoy it, if they're enjoying it, go and enjoy it. That sounds silly, but it's not for us to kind of dictate to people. <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. I, I, I know, you've got to sit there with a plate full of sliders and you've got to have a, a, you know, a bag of crisps. Go and enjoy it. Just do what makes you happy. But it's some tips that I would give. Look, it definitely helps. The more you know, and this is just the same with American football in general, the more you know, the more you enjoy it. If you're just following your team, then you enjoy it. Yeah, look, it's the excitement of seeing who your team are going to take. But if you know, you know, say for argument's sake, that 
the Cardinals need a cornerback, but we've already seen two good cornerbacks go off the board and there's a team in front of them that might take a cornerback. Maybe the Cardinals trade up now. It's these little kind of subplots and these little storylines that just add so much more to draft day. So it can be kind of overwhelming, which is why we did these videos that we have done to try to kind of cut through that and give a five minute view on each team just to add that extra level of complexity for the listeners and for the viewers, just to give them that a little bit extra more. But, but the more you do know, there's just so much more that you can gain from it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I found that myself. First year I watched the draft, I only really had knowledge about Green Bay. That's all I was following. But as you know, I do more seasons in fantasy football, more seasons doing the podcast, you, my knowledge of other teams grows and it, it certainly adds a, an element of additional excitement when you're aware what other teams are looking for around the picks that you know that your team are picking. Absolutely. And you don't have to jump in the deep end all at once. Maybe as a kind of starting point, first of all, know what your team needs. That's point one. Know where your team is weakest, know where your team needs to upgrade and focus on that first of all. Then perhaps like search out other teams that have similar needs. In round one, if your team needs a wide receiver, look at other teams that need wide receiver and then you'll know what they're picking and what players might fall to you. And then just build on from that and keep on building up from that. And the more you build up and bring these storylines into things, just the more excitement that you'll get from it. And, you know, I wouldn't get too bogged down in players because, you know, there's so many pundits and commentators who want to say, you know, look at this player, look at their record from last year, look at the stat line they that they put up. College is so, it's so hard to contextualize what players are doing because they're not all playing each other. They're not all playing the same teams. They're not all playing the same strength of opposition week in and week out. It's so, so hard to, to really to really be able to say that play is a sure thing or that guy is definitely really good. It's almost impossible. So don't worry too much about the players. Just take it on merit. Just look at the depth of position. Look at what people are saying. If someone's saying that this is the order of talent at wide receiver, accept it with a pinch of salt, but don't worry yourself too much about, I need to research this player or that player because it's almost an impossible task. It's so hard to really gauge the true talent of college players. Just know what your team wants, know what the storylines are, know what other teams want and just build on those storylines and you can have a great, great draft day doing that. Or be a Green Bay fan and it doesn't really matter what your research says. <laughs> it absolutely doesn't matter. You know, team definitely needs some weapons for Aaron Rodgers. We ain't going to take, take, take weapons for Rodgers. We're just going to, you know, draft a quarterback. Absolute insanity. I, I can only assume I'm going to have a better draft day than I did last season. Uh, I was I was in absolute pieces when I saw that we drafted Love. Oh, my days. Question for you, actually, Charles. I've seen a couple of rumours, and it's, it's all based on rumours of some photos that some people may have taken of a Green Bay Insider's notes, where they possibly maybe looking at a trade with New England to send Jordan Love to the Patriots to move up in this year's draft. How would that sit with you? Yeah, I did hear that. It depends to do what, right? Because if they're going to move up to really get a value player in a position that they desperately need, then I would say, yeah, go for it. But... What I would say is a complete waste of time is if they ship Love off to New England just to move up in the draft to then pick another quarterback or to pick a position that we really don't have a massive need to, to fill that gap. 
there's a few kind of weird things here. So if they do trade in to the Patriots pick at 15th overall, now I'd say that Green Bay's needs stand out are cornerback and wide receiver. The best cornerback is not going to be on the board at 15th. You know, Patrick Sertain is going to go probably to Dallas at 10. He may even go to the Panthers at 8. But cornerback 1, Sertain, and cornerback 2, uh, Horn, they're both probably going to be gone at 15. So you're not going to get the best cornerback on the board at 15. Wide receiver, well, we know Jamar Chase and um, Devontae Smith are probably going top 10. So you're not getting the best wide receivers off the board. Now, yeah, you can get some decent players, but it feels... It feels a little bit rich, really. To, that that 15 pick is almost a no man's land in this year's draft for the type of positions that Green Bay needs. Yeah, and that's that's the real danger. But then, who knows what Green Bay needs <laughs> based off last year? Would it be worth it just to um, stop Rogers from spitting his toys out of the pram? It almost proves that Rogers was right. He's a long term future of his team, even at the age that he's at, and he's the man. And you know, long live the king. Oh, I don't know. It's so tough. Part of me thinks you you've got to go beyond that. You can't, look. I I get it. Aaron Rodgers is a fantastic quarterback, and he deserves a kind of length of rope when he does what he does and he delivers for the team what he delivers. But if you let your quarterback run your team, I think there's dangers in that. And I I think if Green Bay genuinely believe in love, then you've got to trust in what the front office feel they have there. It's just such a strange one, really. It, it, it was a really odd pick. I think it, I think the yeah. whole, that was the shock of last draft, wasn't it? That was the day one talking point. That was <laughs> yeah. The, that was the headline news from day one was the Jordan Love pick. And I, I can't wait to see what this year's headline stupid pick will be. Well, I'll tell you what, Joe, that leads us very nicely into my next question that I was going to ask you, which is, what are your views in terms of, of watching the draft? Obviously, it's something that takes place over three days. What's your view on the best times to tune in if you're not going to watch it all? Where does the action happen? Where are the exciting points? I'm definitely going to be watching day one and day two. Day one, it's like I say, you're watching kind of almost for those Jordan Love storylines. You're watching to see which team does something which is changing the narrative of what's going on in next season. When Green Bay made that pick, it changed the narrative on the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and the team. It was a schism of a pick. It sent the man to drinking fingers of tequila. And as we've seen from hockey performances, Aaron Rodgers is not a great drinker. So <laughs> <laughs> I would say that there is an element of day one. It can be a little bit boring. Now, it's going to be boring for the first half an hour. The first pick is going to be Trevor Lawrence. The second pick is going to be Zach Wilson. The third pick is probably Mac Jones. It might be Justin Fields, but it's going to be one of those two guys. So the first half an hour isn't going to be all that exciting. And you know what? I'm even going to say as well, I didn't really enjoy the coverage that we get. It's so downbeat. It's just focusing on the tragedy in these young men's lives. I really, really, really hope that the commentators just move away from that kind of nonsense that they were doing last year and just... And just talk about their football. I don't know whether it was because it was the first draft that we had that wasn't at a live location and whether they felt we need something else to make it more exciting and they turned to this Britain's Got Talent style of... Exactly. Everyone had a sob story. Everyone yeah. had a sob story, but they didn't need to. They could have just hyped the guys up, you know. 
But it was so awkward when they were talking to these young kids and they'd just been picked for the NFL. Their dreams had come true. And they were like, did you do this for your uncle? How how does yeah, 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 yeah. how would your nan feel right now? And it's like, yeah, let, yeah. let these guys just be delighted that they've made it into the NFL. Why are you trying to bring everyone down with this nonsense? Exactly. It was terrible. And if it has been a player who's been making a thing of it and saying that they've been doing this for this person, but I'm telling you, right, there weren't 25, 30 guys who were week in, <laughs> week out talking about how they were doing this for some dead relative. Like, uh, it was just a terrible coverage last year. So I'm really hoping we don't see that in round one. Round two is a little bit quicker. The pick's coming quicker. You're seeing more happening. I enjoy round two, round two and round three on day two the most probably. And what I would say for me personally, I will keep track of what is going on on day three. So rounds four, five, six, and seven. I'll look at the picks as they come in, but I'm not going to be watching the coverage of that. I would say though, you do often get some great picks on day three in terms of who's announcing them. You know, go and look at what Pat McAfee did for the Colts a few years when they were drafting in Nashville. That's a great video. You have these kind of comedy picks that happen on day three, but it's not really worth watching for several hours. It's all a bit of a crapshoot by the time you get to day three. So Catch the highlights. Catch the highlights. Watch the funny picks. Go and watch that. But for me personally, and I'm an NFL nerd, as basically everyone who listens to this knows, but round one, round two, and round three on days one and two are probably the best watching. So look, we've got our daily updates on videos. So uh, as we mentioned, unfortunately, we don't have the time on this podcast to go into every single team. But if you would like our views on what we think, the areas that we think teams are going to be looking at, uh, some of maybe the key decisions that they need to consider, Joe has been releasing daily videos, uh, which you can find on our YouTube channel if you search for Playsheet Podcast. And you can also find it on our Facebook page, which is Playsheet Sports. So, yep, keep your eye on those. We're going to be doing those right up to the day of the draft just to lead you very nicely into draft day. Enjoy it all, soak it all in, and then we'll be doing a podcast on the following week just to round up what actually went down and and what that means for certain teams. Exactly, and we'll also be live tweeting. Follow our social media on Draft Night.